Okay, how many of you, how many of you have ever said something and immediately after you said it, you began to regret it? Like maybe you told a corny joke at church, but you say something, you're like, oh man, I wish I wouldn't have said that. You wish you could take those words back. Like most of us could say, I've been there, right? Most of us are like, yeah, I've done that. In fact, for me, there, uh, several years ago, I was working at Madison House and I was going through a, a challenging time at Madison House. Um, I was feeling not very supported and a little isolated from um, uh, my, my coworkers. And so one of my coworkers from the mission who was involved in development came to have a meeting with me. And I'll be honest, I was frustrated and I kind of let him have it. I kind of just unloaded my frustration out on him and he's kind of like, oh, okay. And so he got up and left the meeting. The meeting was over. And I sat in my chair and I thought, I've got two choices to do. I could sit in my chair and I could feel, feel very justified for all that I said to him. Well, you know, you guys made me feel this way. You guys did this or that. But I knew that wasn't what the Lord would want for me. So I got up, I ran down, I chased the guy down before he left in his car, and I said, listen, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done that. Isn't that just real? Isn't that like human nature? When we are treated poorly or when we are perceived to be treated poorly, maybe when we are attacked, maybe when we are forgotten, maybe any of these circumstances, we are prone to react in a similar way. Where I'm going to let you know it. I'm going to be harsh in return. Like, if you hurt me, man, I'm going to give it back to you. Somebody lets you down. Man, oftentimes, somebody lets you down. We're like, I'm going to tell you how big you failed, how big of a jerk you are. And that's just our human nature. I don't think I'm the only one that does that. But I think the question I wrestle with is, is that really what God would, would want us, how he would want us to live? See, there's a difference between us reacting to something and responding to something. These two words, react and respond, they're similar, but there is a huge difference between the two. Reacting is our natural instinct. Reacting is when we respond with emotion, and it is human nature. And so human nature says we want to be right. Human nature says I'm number one. Human nature says I have an image I need to protect. And if somebody mistreats me, if somebody wrongs me, Man, without having a filtering process, without thinking through the implications, and we are so quick to react. I'll give you a piece of my mind. You hurt me, I'll hurt you back. You are, you wrong me, I'm going to be harsh with you. And then when that happens, we say the end justifies the mean. Well, you know, I shouldn't have said that. Maybe I was a little rude, but they deserved it. They wronged me. That is how we react. Responding is different because responding requires intentionality. Responding is where we begin to think about our response. We think about the best way for us to respond. We think about, I want to respond in a way that honors the Lord. In fact, I wanted to give you a, a, a visual image of the difference between reacting and responding. So I thought I'd show you a picture of my dog, Piper. Uh, Piper is a Labradoodle. I'm a dog guy if you didn't know this. You might have heard this once or twice. Uh, I love my dog. My dog is the best dog ever. And we got Piper when she was just a puppy. And when she was a puppy, man, she reacted to anything. Isn't that what puppies do? They, like, they don't have any ability to think about their actions. And so Piper would go and eat whatever was in front of her. So she'd find a shoe and be like, this looks good. And she'd chew on the shoe. She would, uh, we'd take her outside to go potty. And she'd run all through the orchard trying to explore and go everywhere she shouldn't go. 
she would go potty wherever she felt the need to go potty. That is reacting to your emotions, reacting to how you feel. But as we had Piper a little bit longer, we trained her. We worked with her. No longer does she react to her emotions. Now she begins to respond. And so when we give her commands, sit, stay, come, most of the time Piper responds to those and comes to us. Piper has learned how to respond to her body telling her she needs to go potty. So she'll come and let us know she needs to go outside. And for the most part, Piper has learned uh, to respond to her desire to eat. And so she will go to her dog bowl and she'll eat out of her dog bowl or she'll do something for a treat every once in a while. She does have a thing for English muffins. I have no clue why, but this dog will climb on any counter to find whatever English muffins are in the house. It is a funny thing. That's kind of the idea of, of reacting versus responding. And see, what happens is when we are in relationship with one another, whether it be in our work, whether it be in our family, whether it be in our church, sometimes we have a tendency to react instead of responding. And let me just ask this. When you find yourself in that situation, does it ever get you in trouble? Do you ever find yourself reacting in a way that you know is wrong? That isn't the best for you? When I was in high school, I was a, a wrestler, and I was a decent little wrestler. And my senior year of high school, we had a chance to win the district championship, the league championship. All we had to do was beat Moses Lake, which is a perennial powerhouse in wrestling, at least back in my day. And so our coach went through our, our, our lineup, and he said, hey, these wrestlers, we need you to get a win. If you guys all win, then I think we'll win the championship. And my job, my job, I was wrestling against a guy who was a pretty good wrestler. I think he, you know, placed well. He'd done well in the past. But based on my season, my coach was like, Kevin, we expect you to get a win. We need you to get a win. And I'm like, all right, I got this. So I'm wrestling this guy, and we're getting to third period, and I'm beating him. I'm like, yes, this feels really good. And then the guy got desperate. So we're in the middle of this wrestling match, and he pinches me. And I'm like, what? What'd you do? So... I got a little bit mad and I reacted and I charged right at him and I charged at him and I set myself up to get put into what's called a fireman's carry. He takes me, he throws me over his shoulder, throws me down on the mat. He, he, he gets points for taking me down and then he kind of laughs at me and he backs off. And what do I do? I get even more madder. You laughed at me? I got up and I charged at him again. He put me into the same move, threw me down on the mat, gets his points and backs off. My coach is like, Kevin, get your head in the game. You're not thinking. And I wasn't. I was reacting. I did that same thing. I charged after him seven or eight times. Seven or eight times. He did the same exact move, threw me on the mat, got his points, and backed off and laughed at me. I lost the match. A guy I should have beaten. Why? Because I was reacting and not responding. I want you to think in your life, how many times have you created trouble for you because you reacted instead of responding? You followed your emotions, your human nature. How many opportunities has God given you to encourage people around you, to show them grace and love, but you missed because you reacted out of your emotions? Let's be honest, most of us can look back and say we've lost some friends, We've lost some, maybe a job. We've lost some respect because we had an emotional reaction rather than thinking about how would God want me to respond in this situation? 
We're in a series for this past couple of, of weeks called the, Sermon, the Fruit of the Spirit, uh, looking at the fruit of the Spirit. And today we're going to be in Matthew chapter 12, and we get the privilege of looking at the word uh, gentleness. Gentleness. You know, I was thinking about this. I was thinking about this series on the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit. One of the things I love about our church in this season is we're kind of, our church is kind of in a baby season. It's been really, I mean, I love all the babies that our church is, is, is having right now. The Hollands had a baby not too long ago. The Scarlets had a baby. The Kellys just had a baby. Adam and Alex are about to pop any day now. It's exciting. I, I love this season. You know, when a baby is born, my wife and most women do this. They look at the baby and they're like, oh, look at the baby. She's got her mom's eyes. She's got her dad's chin. She's got this or that. Like, I look at a baby, I don't see it. I see a cone head. Like, like, I don't see the resemblances in the baby. But you know what happens is as the baby grows a little bit older and gets into childhood, you begin to see some resemblances in their mannerisms and the way they speak to their parents. They become spitting images of their, of their parents. And, it, and it's natural and it makes sense because when a child spends that much time in relationship with a parent, man, they should begin to reflect that parent. They should display those mannerisms. Listen, that is what the fruit of the Spirit is. That is what the fruit of the Spirit is. It is evidence that we have this deep and abiding relationship with God, that we are walking with Him. See, see the way that People know that we are a Christian. The way that we are walking with God, it has very little to do with our theology and less to do about what we do and more about whether we are looking like Jesus. And how do we know whether we look like Jesus? Whether we are displaying the fruit of the Spirit of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. When we display those things, we become the image of our Father and it shows that we are walking in relationship with Him. Today, we're looking at the word of gentleness. Now, the root word uh, for gentleness is preos, which can be translated as meekness or humility or, or, or mindness, uh, mildness of disposition. You know, when we think about the word gentleness, so oftentimes we think about weakness, like it's, it's, it's weakness. But this word is actually a very powerful word. It really, the other definition for it is strength under control. In fact, the Greeks, they use this word for gentleness, praos. They use it to describe a wild animal that has been tamed, right? So can you, can you imagine in your head, imagine one of those purebred race horses, those big, beautiful animals that are just powerful as all get out. They're beautiful and powerful. But the moment you put a rider on top of that horse, a jockey, that horse, that powerful horse suddenly obeys the command of the rider. That is a picture of gentleness. That is a picture of having tremendous strength that is under control. It's got a filter on it. It's got an ability to, to follow through to a direction that a rider or a guide is trying to send this horse. And that is a picture of gentleness. So we can have all sorts of power, all sorts of strength, but we put it under control to what God has for us. So today in Matthew chapter 12, context is key. We've got to understand where, what we're reading in, in Matthew chapter 12. Jesus has been bucking against the religious leaders. Religious leaders and Jesus, they've been going back and forth time and time and time again. Uh, those religious leaders, what they would do is they would take something from the Word of God. They'd take something, they'd read something, and then they would take that idea and, and, and go beyond it. So for example, Scripture says that we should honor the Sabbath day. That's 
Scripture says that. But those religious leaders says, okay, well, if you're going to honor the Sabbath day, let me tell you how you have to do it. They'd say you have to do this and you have to do that. And they would add all these things and they'd have these traditions that weren't necessarily in Scripture, but how they used to say this is the only way for you to honor the Sabbath. Well, Jesus comes onto the scene and he's like, no, that's not what we're going to do. And so Jesus comes on the scene and he does some crazy things on the Sabbath. Like him and his disciples are walking through a field and they pluck the, the head off the wheat. And the, and the religious leaders are kind of free. You can't do that. And then Jesus comes across a man and the man's got a withered hand. And Jesus is like, hey, this man clearly needs healing. So I'm going to heal this man on the Sabbath. And religious leaders are like, you can't heal that man on the Sabbath. That's work. And you can't work on the Sabbath. Jesus is like, you guys are ridiculous. You are taking God's word and going way beyond it. And so it creates this, this tension between Jesus and the religious leaders. And as Jesus does this, religious leaders, man, they, they, their, their authority is challenged. Their control over people is challenged. Their, their self-confidence is challenged. And so actually, in, in Matthew chapter 12, verse 14, it says that those religious leaders, they plotted to try and figure out how they could kill Jesus. we got to do something to stop him. So they're plotting to kill Jesus. And that's where our text picks up. So I want, you, I want you to put yourself in the shoes of Jesus. All right, picture yourself in those shoes. You are being wrongfully accused by people. People are, are, are maligning you. They're speaking ill of you. They are plotting against you. What do you do in that moment? What would you do in that moment when people are, are mistreating you and they're plotting to take your life when you've done nothing wrong? I mean, most of us would say, well, I'm going to react. I'm going to tell them what's up. I'm going to tell them you can't. I'm the son of God. You can't do that to me. But Jesus shows us what it looks like to respond with grace and gentleness. So verse 15, it says that Jesus was aware of this. He was aware that the religious leaders were trying to kill him. And so Jesus withdrew from there. Here in the middle of this conflict, I mean, Jesus would have every right to defend himself. He'd have every right to go and confront those religious leaders and say, you guys are idiots. You guys are, are, are mistreating me. This isn't fair. I deserve better than this. But Jesus doesn't push back against him. He doesn't call them names. What does he do? It says he withdraws. Listen, the key here is he avoids unnecessary conflict. See, there are some of us that we enjoy conflict. Some of us, we want to create conflict in different places that we go. We thrive in conflict. Jesus says, I'm going to avoid unnecessary conflict. That's not, that doesn't mean that Jesus is afraid of it. He's not afraid of conflict. There's times that we see Jesus again and again. He's willing to deal with it. He confronts the religious leaders, but he recognizes this is not the right time nor the right place. And see, that itself is a lesson for some of us in here this morning. That it takes incredible humility and wisdom for us to, to back down from some conflict. Because some conflict is just not worth it. So it says that Jesus withdrew, and it continues, and said that many people followed him, and he healed them all. And after he healed them, it says he ordered them not to make him known. Now, I always read that, and I think, okay, Jesus has done this great thing. He's healed all these people. Why would he tell them, don't tell other people about me? I think, like, that's great. That's free publicity, Jesus. Like, all these people, they're going to go on social media and say, hey, look what Jesus did for me. You guys got to go check this guy out. Like, wouldn't that be good? It would make sense that he'd want everybody to know. 
But, again, we have to recognize that the world that Jesus is in is similar to our world. Where we value power and authority and arrogance. You see, most of these people who were coming to Jesus to, hear, to, to be healed and to hear his teachings, they were looking for Jesus to be the Messiah. They were waiting for the Messiah. But they were looking for a worldly Messiah. They were looking for a political leader. Again, this is where we got to understand the type of leader that we are drawn to. These people were looking for a, a powerful leader, a leader who would draw attention to himself, who would say, look how great I am, look how awesome I am. They were looking for a, a political and a military leader who, who'd bring them vengeance by destroying their enemies, by taking out the Romans. They were looking for someone to redeem their, their, their pride and their might through strength and authority. They were looking for a revolutionary hero right? I mean, just think about this. We look for the same kind of leader. I mean, what kind of, what kind of he heroes are in the movies that we watch, right? I mean, you look at every Avengers movie, what is it about? It's about some great hero with a great authority, great power, doing, bringing redemption. You, what, let's be honest here. Tom Cruise, every movie he is in is exactly that, right? Every movie Tom Cruise is in is exactly that. You've got a good guy who's handsome with a little bit of sex appeal. He can use sharp and aggressive words towards his enemies. And he's capable of all sort of uh, amazing combat moves. And he blows stuff up so he can defeat the, the bad guys. I mean, that is what, how many of our movies are about today? But what you know about Jesus, does that sound like Jesus? Does that kind of leader sound like Jesus? Who knows all the combat moves? Who blows up the bad guys? No, Jesus puts the brakes on that. Says, listen, you're looking for the wrong kind of leader. He's not going to be this powerful Messiah that they were looking for. He's not going to be a revolutionary hero. The revolution was going to come, but it wasn't going to be by the blood of the enemies. It was going to be by his own blood. So Jesus says, hey, don't make me known because I'm not that kind of a leader. I'm a different kind of Messiah. In fact, then the book of Matthew turns to, in our text, it points to an Old Testament prophecy about this Messiah. He points in our text uh, to Isaiah. In fact, next to Matthew chapter 12, verses uh, 17, you could write in your margin of a Bible, Isaiah 42. Because this is a text that Matthew is actually quoting. He says, I want to point you all the way back to Isaiah because Isaiah would often write and he would prophesy about what the Messiah was going to be like. He'd prophesy 700 years before Jesus came and said, this is the Messiah. This is what he's going to do. This is what he's going to be like. And Isaiah 42, that's in our text today, points to this Messiah not being this, this Messiah that could do all these combat moves and could blow stuff up. He was going to be a, a gentle Messiah, a gentle servant. In fact, this is what Isaiah 42 and Matthew 12 says. Verse 18 of our text. Matthew quoting Isaiah says, Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my, my beloved whom, uh, uh, whom I am well pleased. And this reminds us of Matthew chapter 3 when Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist. He's baptized and the dove descends on him. And God himself speaks and says, this is my beloved son and whom I'm well pleased. You see this connection where this prophecy in Isaiah 42 and in Matthew 12 is pointing to Jesus. Continues in verse 18, and God says, I will put my spirit in him and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. See, one of the things I think is really 
fascinating for us is here we're having this conversation on what it looks like for you and I to walk in the fruit of the Spirit, to walk in the Spirit. And here's Jesus. He's God in the flesh. He's God who's become a man. And he's not operating out of his own power. He's not operating out of his own authority. He's walking in the Spirit. He is filled with the Spirit, and that gives him the ability to do what he's doing. And it says that he proclaims justice to the Gentiles. The Gentiles are all of those who were not Jews. This is one of the purposes that Jesus came. He came to proclaim the good news. Listen, I'm going to give my life for you, and this is how you're going to be free. This is where redemption is found. And that's the context. In verse 19 and 20, this is where I want to focus in because this is where we see this Jesus being described as this gentle servant. Again, as we look at this, remember the context. Remember the context. You've got these religious leaders. They're, they're threatening Jesus wrongfully. They're, they're, they're preparing to try and, and take him down. And, and Jesus, if all of us were in his shoes, we'd be tempted to react. You can't treat me this way. I'm the son of God. I could call down a thousand angels to come and destroy you, you, you all, you suckers. I mean, he could do any of this sort of thing. But look what it says, verse 19. It says, he will not quarrel nor cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. See, Jesus is a gentle servant. He's a gentle Messiah. He's not out there quarreling with anybody who wrongs him. He's not out there giving them a tongue lash, tongue lashing. He's got strength under control. He's got his tongue under control. Now, this does not mean that Jesus always kept silent. That's not the way it was. Jesus preached and he taught and he spoke up against evil. He spoke against those that were wrong. And there were times that Jesus would confront the religious leaders. But, but notice, when you read scripture, do you ever see Jesus shouting at his enemies? Do you ever see him get into an argue, uh, like, like just, just flat out argument with his enemies? Do you see him demeaning his enemies? Do you see him calling his enemies names? Do you see him dismissing them and belittling them and letting them have it because they deserve it? In fact, I've read the Bible a number of times and I've not yet found the spot where Jesus really just lets loose and lets them have it and calls them names because Jesus is not reacting out of the concern for his pride. He's not reacting out of how he's been wronged. He has a measured response based on what God is wanting to do in and through him. See, I'd say this. I'd say Jesus isn't trying to serve himself. He's not primarily concerned about him and his life and his rights and, and, and his image and what people think of him. No, his concern is for other people and for what the Lord wants to do. This is the difference between us serving ourselves versus responding for the sake of others and responding for the sake of what God wants to do. In fact, Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 17 says, The words of the wise, their heart in quietness, is better than the shouting ruler among fools. There's wisdom when we are able to have strength and power under control versus reacting when somebody wrongs us and we're just going to let them have it. So here's Jesus. He's his gentle servant. And not just in conflict. Not just when he is wronged. He is a gentle servant and gentle among the weak and the broken and forgotten people of society. In fact, that's what our verse says in verse 20. 
Verse 20, it says, A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not quench until he brings justice to victory. So have you ever been to the river? You go to the river and you see those reeds that grow next to the river? Those reeds that they grow pretty tall? Uh, those things are pretty fragile. Like if you walk by one and your hand hits it, it might break. Or sometimes even when the wind blows really strong, those reeds will, will, will break and, and bend over. But it doesn't really matter because they're, they're plentiful around the river. They're just, they grow like crazy. And so kind of who cares about those? The same idea where he talks about a smoldering wick. Imagine you've got a candle. We've all lit in a candle. What happens when that candle burns down and that wick is about to go out because there's not much wick left? Well, what do you do? You blow it out and you throw it away and you get a new candle, right? That's what you do. Now, the language in here, talking about a bruised reed and a smoldering wick, it's figurative language. Trying to give us an image that we can picture. We can picture one of those reeds or we can picture a candle, but it's a figurative language pointing to parts of our society, pointing to people like you and I. People who are bruised, who are battered, who are broken, who are worn out. Talk about people who have issues. See, in Jesus' day, those religious leaders would look at people that are broken and battered and have issues, and they'd be like, hey, I'm not going to mess with that. They're, they're, they're broken. I don't want to deal with that. I'm too important. I'm too high and mighty. I'm not going to deal with the lower class of society, the people that have issues. I'll throw them out. They're plentiful, right? Reeds are plentiful. I'll just get a new one. Who cares if they're broken? And if my candle's burning out, who cares about it? I'll just throw it away and get a, a, a new one. This is a picture. Is you've got this part of our society that is easy for us to dismiss. We've got a part of society that sometimes is easy for you and I to turn a blind eye to. We see that guy in the street corner. We see that guy, whatever it happens to be, and it's kind of easier for us to walk on the other side of the road and not acknowledge the brokenness as they're on the side of the road. But this text is saying that Jesus is different. That Jesus would, in his gentleness, he would extend grace and love to the weak people, to the hurting people, to the helpless people of the world. That he would look and see these people and he would be empathetic towards them. He'd be patient and compassionate, desire to heal their brokenness, desire to, to, to fix what's gone wrong. And this is a picture of gentleness. That when Jesus has been wronged, when Jesus is being accused, when there's things against him, he doesn't react out of his emotion, out of his self-righteousness, out of how great he is, and he is great. He chooses to respond with gentleness to allow God and his, God's grace to work in that time. And then when he sees those people of society that it's so easy for us to cast off, he doesn't cast them off. He loves them. He pursues them. He extends gentleness to those people. And so here we are this morning as we're talking about the fruit of the Spirit. As we're talking about what it looks like for us to be gentle. This is a picture that Jesus has given us. This is what it looks like for us to be gentle. That even when we're faced with a difficulty, even when we're wronged, even when our human nature, human nature says, hey, we have every right to, to push back. We have every right to defend ourselves." When we are walking in the Spirit, Gentleness comes as a result of choosing not to react out of our emotions, but instead choosing to respond with the grace of God. That is where gentleness comes from. 
when we make the choice, I'm not going to respond, or I'm not going to react out of my emotion, but I'm going to choose to respond with the grace of God where we can extend gentleness to the other people. Again, let's just take this and let's try and take this a little bit deeper for us. When someone is angry with you, when somebody has wronged you, they've insulted you, they've gotten your order wrong and drive through they have uh, yelled at you, they've mistreated you. When we react and let them have it, and we've all done that, right? We've all reacted. I'm going to tell you how wrong you are. I'm going to call you names. I'm going to blame it all on you. We, in that moment, we become the, the judge, the jury, and the executioner. Oh, let me tell you. Let me ask you this. How many times has it ever made things better? When you've reacted in that way and let them have it, does that make anything better? When we return anger for anger, does that make the relationship better? Does it fix the problem? See, we spend so much of our life consumed with me and my rights that it becomes very easy for us to be harsh and hurtful to people when they've wronged us. And Scripture teaches, teaches us and emphasizes so much that there's there's not a ton of value to us reacting like that. There is a tremendous amount of value when we respond with gentleness. In fact, Proverbs chapter 15, Proverbs 15 says, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a hard word stirs up anger. You know what that means? That means a gentle response when we're wronged. A gentle response turns away wrath. But what does anger do? It stirs more anger up. This is where we've got to grasp the, the, the power of that word gentleness, of strength under control, that just because I have the ability to lash out, just because I may even be right to lash out, I'm going to put my strength and my power and my tongue under control and allow God to work in this situation. In fact, gentleness is so powerful in so many relational dynamics, and especially in the family unit, right? I mean, let's... Let me ask you this. What happens? What happens when your spouse yells at you and you, you yell back? Do things get better or worse? What happens? What happens, parents, when you're annoyed and frustrated with your kids and you yell at them? Does that solve the issue with your kids? Or does that put them further down into their hole? Kids, what happens when you mouth off to your parents? Does that make things better? No, it doesn't. When we enter in those situations where somebody's mad and we take the anger back and we give it back to them, what happens is now everybody's yelling. Now everybody's mad and there's chaos all around. Look, Colossians 3, talking to husbands. Colossians 3 says, Husbands, do not be harsh with your wife. Talking to fathers, verse 21 says, Fathers, do not embitter your children or they'll become discouraged. Men, let's just be honest. When we have a bad day, at work, when we have a bad day whenever, it's easy for us to take it out on our, on our families. It's easy for us to say, I'm frustrated, I've had a bad day, and we take it out on our wife and our kids. We are reacting to our circumstances. Men, we are damaging our homes when we react instead of choosing to respond with gentleness. Women, 1 Peter 3, talking to wives, 
It says in verse 4 that you are to have a gentle and a quiet spirit. This doesn't mean that you have to be this dismissive uh, uh, honeydew wife that doesn't have an opinion. But listen, ladies. Ladies, I want you to understand the power of your encouragement. The power of your encouragement. And I'm not talking about nagging. The power of your encouragement, your praise and support. That is the most valuable thing that you can offer your husband. When you are, 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 are a, a woman who is gentle and encouraging, man, I tell you what, that man wants to be home. That man wants to be in your presence because of the gentleness that he experiences there. See, in our family unit, we've got to grasp the most important decision that we can make. And some of us have to make this decision time and time and time again. The most important decision that we can make is not to react out of our emotion, not to react out of how I've been wrong, but choose to respond in gentleness, to respond with the grace of God. And when we make that decision to respond in gentleness, man, our words and our actions will have a huge impact on our families. We have a huge impact on our coworkers, have a huge impact in our church when we choose not to react out of our feelings and emotions, when we choose to respond in gentleness with the grace of God. Now, this is the point where I'm, I'm like, I get this. That sounds really good. I get gentleness. Somebody's mad at me. Me being mad back doesn't solve the issue. I need to respond in gentleness. Here's the rub, though. It's hard to do that, right? It's hard to do that. But here's your hope this morning. Because in in our text of Matthew chapter 12, verse 21, he concludes and says, in his name, the Gentiles will put their hope. See, Jesus is our hope. Jesus is our hope because of the incredible gentleness that he has shown to us. Right? See, here's who we are. We are those bruised reeds. We are those damaged, smoldering wicks. Right? All of us, we've got some brokenness. We've got some selfishness inside of us. We've got some rebellion. We've had enough times where we choose to put ourselves above other people. Like like that, we are those broken people. We've got some, some issues within us. But Jesus, because he loves us, Jesus doesn't dismiss us. He chooses to be gentle with us. Jesus chose to go to the cross for us. You know, when he did that, While Jesus went to the cross, his enemies, they beat him. They made fun of him. They called him names. They spit upon him. And Jesus, he never called names back. He didn't fight back and say, you guys are idiots. You guys are wrong. No, Jesus was gentle with them and actually on the cross said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. There's gentleness. And Jesus showed his gentleness on, on the cross. He paid the penalty for our sin. He died and rose from the grave, making it possible for us to to have a restored relationship with God, that we could be adopted into God's family. And as we place our faith in Jesus as your Savior, that is when God begins to make us a new creation. That he redeems those broken parts of our heart. He redeems those rough parts of our character. He, 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 He fixes those rough edges. And he causes the fruit of the Spirit to grow in our life. See, when we're talking about gentleness, and how do we, how do we respond with gentleness instead of reacting out of emotion? 
It's not about us trying harder. It's us putting hope in the name of Jesus, abiding in the work of the cross and what he has done for us. See, the key to gentleness, in fact, the key to us exhibiting the whole fruit of the Spirit, it's not us doing. It's not us trying harder. It's all about us abiding in Christ. And if we're sitting in, this, in, our, in our seat today, we're saying, man, I'm one of those people. I'm constantly reacting to people around me. I'm angry. and I let them have it. Like, how do I get better in this? Man, it's not about trying harder. It's about you abiding in Christ, experiencing his gentleness, his grace that he has extowed and extended to you. In fact, I want to close this morning with a story about Dallas Willard. Dallas Willard is most known for his book on spiritual disciplines. And he was talking to one of his colleagues about uh, sharing your faith, about telling other people who don't know about Jesus. And he, he turned to Matthew chapter 10, verse 16. And that, that verse, Matthew 10, 16, Jesus says, Behold, I'm sending you a sheep amongst in the midst of wolves. And you are to be wise as servants and as innocent as doves. And Alice said, What is the wisdom of the servant? Not the servant. What is the wisdom of the serpent? Anybody know the wisdom of the serpent? Let me ask you this. Have you ever seen a snake chasing somebody? That's not the way they do it. Snakes, the wisdom of the snake is, I'm going to sit here and wait for someone to come to me. That's the way a snake operates. They're not chasing you. Well, maybe once you get close to you, but they wait for you to come to them. That is the wisdom of the snake. And what is, what is the harmlessness of a dove? Doves are about as harmless as you can get. They are a picture of, they are a symbol of peace, are they not? And here's what Jesus is saying is, when you combine the wisdom of the serpent and the gentleness of the dove, that is a right approach to life. And Dallas Willard, talking to his colleague, he told the story of a, of a missionary by the name of Frank Labak, who went to the Philippines. He said, when Frank first arrived in the Philippines, he decided not to tell anybody else about Jesus. And you're like, that's kind of what a missionary is supposed to do, is tell people about Jesus. Well, what this missionary did simply, he worked faithfully, he kept his mind on the things above, and he waited. And he was gentle with people, he was gentle with his neighbors, his coworkers, he loved people well. And the story says that after a year, the Muslim leaders, the Muslim leaders in Philippines, they told the community, hey, you need to go spend time with that man because that man knows God. And how did they know that he knew God? Because he had the wisdom of the serpent and the gentleness of the dove. And through that, he brought hope and love and change to that community that God sent him to in Philippines. This morning, I want to take that thought, combining the wisdom of the serpent, the gentleness of the dove. And can you imagine, can you imagine the impact on the relationships around us if we lived that out? I mean, reality is, some of us in here today, probably many of us listening, we're here and we're, we're just wondering, God, God, I'm struggling. God, we're struggling in our marriage. God, we're struggling with our kids. Our kids are off doing whatever. I'm, I'm struggling in parenting. God, I'm, I'm struggling at work. I'm struggling with people. God, God, give me some hope today. 
What if God is simply asking you this morning to commit to abiding in Christ, to commit to displaying the fruit of the Spirit? What if God is saying to you today, here's the hope. You want to work in your marriage? Try being gentle. You want to work on your parenting? Try responding with gentleness. You want to work on your relationships at work and, and improve things at work? Try being gentle and see what I would do. Because I'll be honest, I get excited to think about this. I get excited to think about what God might do in our homes and in our families and in our city. When we are people who choose not to react out of emotion, but to respond in gentleness. I get excited to think about how God might change the people around us. We're no longer reacting out of emotion. We're no longer returning anger for anger. We're no longer returning insult for insult. We're no longer saying you're an idiot because you did wrong to me. But instead, we're extending the grace of God, being gentle in our responses. You know what happens when we do that? Our words and our actions become so much different than the world around us. So much different than the way that people are used to being treated. And that gentleness begins to, to change people's hearts. Something's different about you. See, it's not about us having to do these great things for God. It's all about us reflecting His character. Saying, God, I have this opportunity this week and I'm not going to react. I'm going to choose to respond with gentleness and watch and see how God works in you and through you. Let's pray this morning.